want you to turn to the book of John. The book of John is a, a wonderful opportunity. If you've ever asked yourself, what would it be like if I was one of Jesus' disciples? What would it be like if I was in on the huddle and got to hear the, the inside talk? You know, sometimes you watch a football game and they've mic'd, they've mic'd the quarterback or they've mic'd somebody, and you actually get to hear what's in the huddle. And you, you, you bet, I mean, if, if you were thinking quickly, I don't know how they stop you from texting the other team and saying, by the way, here's what they're doing. But, you know, they let you in sometimes. Maybe they, maybe they just let you hear it afterwards. But sometimes you hear what no one else heard. You know, you hear these things. You feel like you got the inside scoop, like you got to hear what the public didn't hear. And, uh, you know, when we read the book of John, I feel like that. I feel like I got to sit in on a special meeting. Because most of the book, a big chunk of the book of John is Jesus speaking to his inner circle. Most of the book of John, well, I shouldn't say most, but, but a big chunk of it, the last few chapters that we really quote heavily from, is him speaking not to the crowds, not to the multitudes, but to a small group of disciples in the last week of his life. So you're getting some real good information here. And the reason it's in the Bible isn't so that you feel like part of a secret club. The reason it's in the Bible isn't so that you can get a glimpse into what it'd be like to be a disciple. The reason it's there is because you are a disciple. It's because it's for you. Now, it was for them at that time, but it's now for you. You're a disciple. You're a follower. You've received the Spirit of God. He trusts you with this. John chapter 15, we find out what it's like to live in the vine, to be connected to the vine, to be connected to Jesus. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. He says the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one that prunes you. He's the one that keeps you uh, clean. He's the one that, that uh, will, will take things out of your life if they're slowing you down. If you'll let him be the vine dresser, he will maximize your ability to, to be connected and to bear fruit. But here it says in John chapter 15, and every time we read out of these last few chapters, I want to read the whole thing. I want to read John like, 13 through 17, but you never have that much time, do you? <laughs> he says this in John 15, verse 1, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. If he's the true vine, that might imply that there's some false vines out there, right? That might say that there's some vines that try to get you connected to them, that, that claim to give you life, that claim to be your provider, that claim to be your source, but they're, they're not real. They're not what you really need. He's the true vine. He says, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. So this word clean is the same word that you'd use to talk about pruning the, the vine. He says, you're already clean. In other words, you're already pruned because of the word which I've spoken to you, which tells us that one of the best ways that the father uses to prune us is through his own word. That means... If by pruning us, he takes things away that are keeping us from bearing fruit, he trims some things from our life, that means when you read the word of God, it should be transforming you like a vine dresser pruning you. If, he's, if his word is pruning us, that means when I open this, it will remove some things from me. It, it will add things to me. It will take things away. And you need to be able to, to be obedient enough to the word where you open it and say, oh, I've been doing that this whole time. And it's been a waste of my time. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey what the Word says. And I'm going to run without any weight or hindrance. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let God, you know, take those things away. You know, we've talked about this before, but isn't it great that when you first got born again, God didn't tell you every single thing you did wrong. Right? He didn't, he didn't call you in front of the class and say, here's, here's the deal. I'm glad you're going to heaven, but you are a miserable wreck, and here's every single thing you need to change. Now, maybe you were aware of those things. But from my experience and anybody I've ever met that's walked this life out, he is merciful enough to work on you so that there are things five years into it that you didn't think were that bad when you started, but he's beginning to work and he says, now I want to stretch you further. Now I want to build you. Now you're ready to grow a little bit more. Now it's time to lay this thing down. That his sanctifying work in your life, yes, by the blood of Jesus, you are sanctified. But it, that, that, that sanctification in your walk, in your lifestyle, 
He doesn't tell you the day one, I want you to quit all of this, I want you to do all this, I want you to be perfect from day one. He, he works on you, he, he builds you. And, and as you go on, you grow from grace to grace, from glory to glory, and you move up and you say, oh, I can't believe I was that stupid. And you know, we, we encounter this a lot because a lot of you have said this to me or something similar. You said, how did you put up with me back then? Or you've said that I mean, to other people around you, to your friends and your family. You say, how did you put up with me? I can't believe I ever said that. And I've heard a couple of you say this, mostly men. Why didn't you smack me in the head? Why didn't you smack me in the head when I said that? The reason was there are times where maybe you needed that. But the reason was is because God is building you step by step. And he's merciful enough to start with these things, move on to these things, and reach for these things. That as you go through in your life, you'll find out 10 years into it that there are things he's telling you to lay down that you never thought were a problem because you're growing. So if you're 10 years into it, if you're 20 years into it, there should be further things and further pruning and further, um, you know, just maximizing of, of your capacity to run the race. I mean, there's further things you let go and you lay aside and there's things you grow in. And even 20 years into it, you'll still find that you open the Word of God and He shows you a more excellent way. That you grow. And you say, how did I ever live without this? Well, He was gracious enough not to burden you, as the Bible says, with sorrow upon sorrow. Not to just attack you with everything you did wrong. As parents, you've done this, right? Those of you that are parents, you know what I'm talking about. That child is going to be somebody someday. And he's going to have to learn things. But you know what? When he shows up at kindergarten, they don't show him everything K to 12 and say, I expect you to do algebra by the end of the day. You don't expect him to be potty trained by the end of the day. You don't expect, in kindergarten, yes. But, <laughs> you know, and he's just a, a baby boy. You don't expect him to be potty trained right away. You, you, you work him up to that. God does the same thing for us. But the difference is, we don't do it in our, our own strength. We do it in the grace of God. He gives you the ability and the strength. And the grace of God always accompanies the voice of God. So anytime God tells you, this is what I want you to do, His commandments, when He says it's time to move up, it's time to move on, it's time to move deeper, and when He tells you, do this, we've talked about this many times before, His commandments are never just orders. They're empowerings. I'd, I'll use this example every single time. You've heard me say it so many times. But when God said, let there be light, that was not advising the light to come. It wasn't convincing the light to come. He wasn't even ordering the light to come. He, when he commanded, let there be light, there was enough power in his word that it caused light to come. So when God says to you, I want you to quit that, quit it. There's enough power in his word to enable you to lay that thing down. When he says, I want you to go and pray for that sick person, there's enough power in his word to cause you to be able to do that with boldness, with faith. There's enough power in his word anytime he commands you to do something, to do it in his grace. You can never separate the commandments of God from the grace of God. So when he says to his disciples, I want you to go from village to village and preach the kingdom of God. What does he say to them? He says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out evil spirits. And all of these things, the moment he said that to them, they were empowered to go and do that. Before that, they weren't. But he gave them the authority to do that. And so I want you to know that, that his commandments, as 1 John says, they're not burdensome because I mean, that very same power, as we sang today, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And when he activates that and he, and he speaks something to your heart, it may be the first time you ever heard it. Now, I've had people that were addicted to things. And some of those things you'd consider sinful and some of the things you wouldn't consider sinful. But can I tell you, if you're addicted to anything, it doesn't matter what it is, it's not good. If you're addicted to coffee, coffee isn't sinful. But if you're addicted to it, it's a problem. Because you don't need to be slave to anything but Jesus Christ. And so if there's anything in your life that you couldn't lay down, you couldn't give away, you couldn't stop doing, it's time to stop doing it. 
And I know that sounds like a bad circle when I say, if you can't stop, you need to stop. <laughs> that doesn't, you go, how does that work? Well, the power of God is there for you to break any chain. And he can break any chain, any bondage in your life. I don't want to tread too far into this. But the Bible does say that we let every weight and sin which entangles us go. So there's weights and there's sins. We already are pretty clear about sin, aren't we? But how about those weights? When those weights, when it's time to let them go, sometimes those weights are wrapped around you quite tightly. But the moment he says, lay that aside, you have been empowered to do it. So the vine dresser, the pruner, God is often going to use his word. There are many times where I've opened the Bible and I've read something that I've read a thousand times and all of a sudden, yeah, I saw something new. I, I felt like, Oh, I've been, I, I didn't see that before. I, this, this is going to change some things in my life. And the reason it clicked like it never clicked before was because God brought revelation to it. His, it. He brought life to that verse for me. He brought light to it. And once I had revelation, I was able to move on it. Once I had revelation, I could do it. You know, there are a lot of things in this word. If, you don't, if, you, if it's not revelation to you, if it's just something you've been taught and you get up here, it's not going to be life to you. It's not going to be powerful to you. You've got to get it. You've got to get it by the Spirit of God. He says, I, my father's the vine dresser. He says, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. To abide means that's where you live. That's where you stay. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, you can't do that either unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who stays in me, he who abides in me, he who lives in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. So the condition for you bearing fruit isn't wanting to bear fruit. The condition for you bearing fruit isn't trying a little bit harder. The condition for you bearing fruit is staying in that place, that connection with Jesus. That's your ticket to fruit. That is natural. You're connected with him. Now, you, you already abide in Him in a sense. Because once you get born again, He has prepared a place for you. You, you. you stand and you've been seated in heavenly places. You've got a place in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. And that can't just change just because you got bored. That doesn't change. Your life is still hidden in Him. But there is also an abiding that comes through that daily relationship with Jesus. That that's where you draw your strength from. That's where you draw your life from. That's where you draw your hope from. That's where you start to dream. You know, so many of us will dream out here. We'll dream and we'll come up with good ideas. And we run back to Jesus for the paycheck to get it done. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like a kid who all of a sudden is, I mean, it's close to getting out of high school. And they all of a sudden decide they just want to go to Harvard. And, uh, you know, mom and dad, that's not a problem, right? I just decided this is where I want to go. Can you pay me? Can you, can you get this done? I just need a check. Can, and not only a check, but you know what? I don't want to live on campus like those dolts. I want to have one of those nicer little off-campus places. Can you do that as well? And maybe that's not something you ever had planned to do, but you came up with the idea and ran back to mom and dad to make it happen. And sometimes we do that with Jesus. We come up with this idea of our life. And we, we have an idea and we start to formulate it. It sounds kind of cool. And we run back to him and say, God, Make this happen. It's a good idea. But what he wants you to do is to dream in him. Is to let him dream. Let him plant things in you. When you abide in him, you have that assurance that it's coming from a pure place. That the things that he's putting inside you are from him. He started it and he'll finish it. If he didn't start it, the Bible says unless the Lord builds the house, you're wasting your time. The, workmen, the people are working, but they're working for nothing. Now, let's keep reading. He says, apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. You can't do anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast into the fire, and they are burned. Now, go back to that for a second. This has been uh, a controversial verse, and a lot of people struggle over what that means. Does that mean if I, for a moment, forget to read my Bible one day, if I stop praying, does that mean I'm going to hell? No, that's not what this verse is saying. Or else we'd all be going, right? First of all, who's gathering? 
doesn't say that it doesn't say he gathers them as in God the vine dresser. We know Jesus is the vine in this metaphor, right? So he's not doing it. We know the Father's not doing it, or else there'd be a he, a capital H, right? It's they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. This is not talking about eternal damnation here. This is talking about your effectiveness as a Christian witness. This is talking about, just as Jesus said, if you stop being salty, there's enough, there's, you're of no good. You just got to be thrown away. Doesn't mean he'll throw you away, but it just means that you're not, there's no point to you anymore. You're not being effective as a witness for Christ, and people toss you aside. Your witness is useless after that. You're not doing anything, but that's not your destiny, guys, because you can abide in Jesus. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, I'm praying, and I hope that that's not talking about you. In verse 7, he says this. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Do you know there's two things there? If you abide in me and my words live in you. What does it feel like for his word to live in us? What does that, what does that feel like? What does that sound like? Where his words are so real to you that it's like they're alive in you. They live in you. That's certainly not just something you learn. That's something that lives inside of you and it, and it dwells and it's alive and it's active in you. Have you ever let the word really become a part of you? And I, I think most of you have. Because once you let it become a part of you, it wakes things up that were dead. It breathes life into things. It causes things to grow. I mean, the word living inside of you takes over every other thing. Jesus compared the kingdom of God to yeast in bread. That, that is eventually it works its way and, and takes up more and more space. And, and I believe that the kingdom is an expanding kingdom. And when the kingdom's in you, it expands. If the word is really alive in you, it will expand and push other things out, which is a good thing. That's a real good thing. When the word's alive and it's pushing things out, it's caught, taking up more and more space. What did Jesus call the word in Mark chapter 4? He called it a seed, right? I've said this before, but I'll say it again. This is the coolest thing to me, is that the seed... A seed is as small as that, as that organism's ever going to be. A seed only gets bigger. Once a seed is sown, it will grow. And there are things that come out of that seed that you never knew were in there. Have you ever had like bird seed and wondered what that seed was? I've had that before. You know, I, I remember my dad telling me he was so curious as a boy as to what his bird seed was. And he planted it and all sorts of different things came up, right? Mostly different types of grass. It wasn't that exciting. But, you know, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a, I'm not a, a planter. I, if you gave me a bag full of seeds, I couldn't tell you what they were most of the time. Once you plant them, things come out of those seeds that you never know were there. I mean, just never even have guessed that that fruit would come out of that, that that branch would come out of that, that all of these things in this little seed, it carried the ability to do all of these things. So if the word is the seed in our life and it's supposed to grow and bear much fruit, then that moment that we receive it, maybe today you receive the word of God as a seed in your heart. If it is properly watered and your heart is, is good soil, then what happens is the word comes in and it starts taking more and more space because it will grow. It, the worst thing would be that it would remain a seed for the rest of your life. The word doesn't stay a seed, or else it's not really a seed, is it? It's just a very small plant. It's just a speck. It's just, a, it's just you know, a, a pebble. But if it's a seed, it grows. Did you ever think as a kid, what would happen if I swallowed a watermelon seed? I mean, I, I, you always did, right? But there was always some guy that told you, if you swallow that, there's watermelon going to grow in your belly. I knew a guy where it happened. His he died because that watermelon just got too big. And Well, of course, that's silly, right? <laughs> it's silly, but could you imagine if it did? That's something fun, right? Let's imagine watermelon growing inside. The fear as a kid was that this little thing would become a big thing. And that in becoming a big thing, it would push out other important things. Well, the word is that small thing that when placed inside, it will grow. It will expand. It's 
why it's so important that you don't harden your heart even to little things. It's so important that you don't say, well, I believe this part, but I'll leave this part. Because when you do that, what you're doing is allowing a little bit of hardness to come into your heart where you're saying, I can say no to the Word of God. Just in this area. I mean, I believe all the other stuff, but that stuff he talks about, you know, the marriage stuff, I don't buy that. I just don't buy that Ephesians 5 stuff. I, I, I've got a better way. I mean, we moved on. We're enlightened. Okay. I, I don't think the husband really needs to lay down his life. I, I don't really think that, that we need to forgive each other as Christ. I mean, who can do that? Uh, I, I, I'm going to believe everything else you guys believe, but I, I don't think I'll believe that. I, I know it's in the Bible. I see it, but I just don't believe it. That's the most puzzling thing for me. When somebody says, I know it's there. I know it's true, but I don't want to do it. That's the most puzzling thing for me. Because if God spoke it, don't you think he knows a little bit more than you? But if you let that little, even in that one little area, of course marriage is not a little area, but even, even it was an area like giving. And you said, no, 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 no. I believe all this other stuff, but that stuff, no. And you see it in the words, you know it's there. But, but I don't believe that stuff. Don't be fooled. Because that hardness has a way of expanding as well. You say no in one area, you've just told your head and your heart and everything else that I will say no to the word. Pretty soon, it'll expand and you'll find that hardness in other areas. Well, we don't want to be like that, do we? In the same sense, though, the kingdom and the word of God in our heart can expand even more powerful, even mightier than that, where if we just receive it, even if it started out small, even if it started out as one little revelation, if you let it grow, it will expand and expand in you till you're full of the Word of God. He says, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. What does He want you to, How much fruit does He want you to bear? Much, right? A lot. And you know who gets all the credit? He does. He says, I'm glorified by this. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now remember, we said abide means to stay, to remain, to dwell. The first spark of love in your life is a response, and I mean real love. I don't mean like romantic love. I mean, that's real, but that's a different type of love. The love we're talking about here, just like they taught you in foundational, you know, Bible teaching, was that there were different types of love. In fact, the Greek language has, has different words for different types of love, and there's the type of love that a husband has for a wife. There's a type of love that, that you may have for your friends. There's a type of love that you have for family, but this love is talking about God's love. This is a divine love. This is the kind of love that the scripture tells us lays down your life. This is the type of love that, that imitates Jesus and says, I don't care if you love me, I love you. There's no other love that says that. This is the kind of love that doesn't need a response, that simply gives. Jesus loved you while you were yet a sinner. He died for you while you were yet a sinner. He didn't wait for you to do something right. He loved you. And so this kind of love... He says, you need to abide in it, and here's how you do that. Here's how you stay in the love of God, to keep my commandments. Now, so many people, one of these words makes you nervous. Some people, it's commandments. You know, they just don't want to hear about commandments. That's, I'd like to hear about the love part. Skip the commandments part. Some people are so eager for a beating that they just want to hear commandments. That's all they ever want to hear. Skip that hippie love stuff. Give me the commandments. Well, let me tell you, they go together. This is interesting because he explains something here that I think we all need to understand. His commandments are not about some arbitrary rules that a big guy in the sky came up with just to make you miserable. They're not about proving yourself to prove that you can that you can just do hard things. This isn't hell week in the Navy SEALs. This isn't God trying to break you. His commandments are tied into His love. 
If God is love, he doesn't say God has love. He is love. If he is the embodiment of love, if he is the definition of love, then what comes from him is love. And these commandments that Jesus is talking about, he says, you want to know how to stay in love? You want to know how to stay in my love? I've given you the keys to that. I'm going to tell you how to walk in love. And we call those commandments. We call those his words to us. Now, when you hear commandments, you may think of the commandments that God gave to Moses. You may think of the commandments that Jesus gave to us. You may think of commandments that are in the New Testament. You may think of commandments in the Old. Here, Jesus has told us previously, and in fact, you can look it up in the, in the book of Matthew. He says it more than once, specifically Matthew 22. He talks about this. He says, he asks, what's the greatest of the commandments? And he's talking about the ten, the big ten commandments. He says, what's the greatest one? The guy says, well, you've got to love your neighbors yourself. And, of course, the big one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Jesus says, you're right. He says, on these two commandments, love your neighbor and love God, hang and depend all the law and the prophets. Every other commandment hangs on these. Paul reiterates that in Romans 13. He says the same thing. He mentions a commandment, and then he says, in reality, it all comes back to that original love. And he says, if you can do that, you can keep all the commandments. You fulfill all the commandments. He says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Which tells us that those commandments weren't God trying to prove that you, I mean, these things that Jesus tells us, he's not just trying to prove that you're just a worthless loser who can never get anything done. His commandments are a way, are a key to walking in his love. But you see, even in the Old Testament, when those Ten Commandments, when the law was given, the people found out they were not sufficient to keep it. They couldn't do it. They tried. But nobody did. The Bible says there was none righteous. In other words, nobody kept it. No one met the standard, not even one. The only person to walk perfectly was Jesus Christ. So what's different about us? Well, the Bible says the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You see, you've received, you're not just observing the love of God. You're just not somebody who's felt the love of God. You've been given the love of God. Those things that he tells you, when you're reading that New Testament, when you're reading those epistles, when you're reading what Jesus said, when you're reading even the Ten Commandments, what you're able to do that they never were is to do this in the power and the grace of God as a demonstration and an outflowing of the love of God in your life. So let's, let's break that down. If Jesus said all the law hangs on these two commandments of love. Does, he, does that mean that, they were, that we're throwing the other ones away, they're of no good? Well, no, of course. We know that, you know, <laughs> thou shalt not murder still is pretty relevant, right? You know, don't, don't falsely accuse somebody. Probably should keep that. Don't steal, right? But in Romans 13, we're told that the reason love encompasses all of that is because those were telling you how to walk in love. Those were examples of God's love. That if you have God's love in you, you don't want to murder your friend or your enemy. If you have God's love in you, you won't lie. If you have God's love in you, you won't steal, right? And you may have thought, well, as long as I have the love of God in me, I'll always know what to do. And I believe there's truth to that. And I believe there are times where you don't know the answer, but you got the love of God in you and you... And you you know what? You've got the Spirit of God in you, and He shows you the right thing to do. But thank God He had mercy on us, and He loves us enough to give us examples and commandments of love. If you just see the commandments of God as rules, arbitrary rules just to prove He's God and you're not, you're missing the point. These are a commandments of love. And when Jesus gave us these words, when, he, when, when we read through these, this revelation that was given to us, this revelation of Jesus, revelation of the grace of God, revelation of the life of God, we, we find out what it's like to love. 
Jesus showed us what it was like to love. And he said, if you want to stay in my love, keep my commandments. Because I'll tell you what to do. Maybe it's commandments that set off red lights in our head. Maybe it's just the word. So let's just try to switch the word just for a minute, see if it changes for you. If you keep my words, if you do what I tell you to do, you'll stay in love. Does that make it easier for you? <laughs> if you do what I tell you to do, you'll stay in my love. I'm going to walk you through this. Because he says, you know what, Brent? I know that you've got a good heart. I know that you, not, I know that you let my love be in you, but I know that you're not always going to know the answer. So isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus doesn't say, Brent, you're on your own. And on the last day, we're going to look at the instant replay and we're going to find out what you did right, what you did wrong. But instead, he says, Brent, I've given you love. I want you to stay in that love. But don't worry. I'm walking with you and I will tell you what you need to know to stay in love. Now, does that change how you view commandments? Because if you view commandments just as God hammering down on you and you're just saying, oh, there's one more rule I need to keep, you're missing the point. He's saying, I will tell you how to walk in love. I will tell you how to walk in life. I will tell you how to walk in strength. I will tell you how to stay in peace. I will tell you how to live a life that I showed you how to live, but I'm going to tell you what you need to know. Those are the commandments of God. And they're not burdensome. Thank God. Now you may have somebody, I mean, it's a popular thing right now. It's the big thing. It's the big thing for people to quote back to you the Levitical law. That's the, 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 all those rules and regulations and rituals that were given to the Israelites through Moses. It's a big thing in the world today to go, well, you wear mixed fibers, don't you? The Bible tells you you can't do that. You eat shrimp, don't you? The Bible tells you you can't do that. Well, I'm going to tell you, the Bible never told me not to eat shrimp. The Bible never told me not to, eat, not to wear um, mixed fibers. didn't tell me not to trim my beard. God told the Israelites at that time to do that. That's called the ritual law. That's called the civil law. That wasn't given to all of us. That was given to them for a specific time in history. And even if you needed proof, First of all, Jesus confronted that time and time again. They were about ready to stone an adulteress, and he called that whole thing off, right? Not only that, but Peter has a vision where God brings all these sorts of foods that he's not supposed to eat and says, kill and eat it, I've made it clean. Now, not only was that a metaphor for Gentile people, but it was showing that there was an end. The, the curtain had been torn. There was an end to that part of the law. That was over. Thank God. So you can eat shrimp. I'm not telling you you should, but you could. You can wear mixed fibers. So people try to tell you that, and that's an attack on the Word of God because what they want to tell you is if you don't, if you, if you don't believe that, why would you believe any of it? But they're ignorant of the Word of God. They're ignorant of, of, of the truth. I mean, it only takes a baby Christian to, to refute that. But in all those things, there's an attack on the very authority of the Word of God. And this is what I want you to realize, that the Word should have authority in our life. You should be able to look at your Bible and say, this isn't God advising me. This is God speaking life to me and commanding me. But if He's commanding me, there's grace to do it and there's love to do it. And there's been love poured out of my heart. I can walk in love. So rebelling against this and doing something different than what He says... If God is love, and He tells you to do this, and you do something opposite, what have you done? You've not just disobeyed God, but you've violated the love of God. You've done something the opposite of love. None of us want to do that. Let's look what He says in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. That your joy may be full. This is my commandment. Remember, here's a commandment for you. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you. 
Now, the challenging thing about that is he says, just as I've loved you. You don't love one another in a pale reflection of the way I've loved you. You love one another in the same way I loved you. That's how you love one another. I want you to turn to the book of 1 John as we start to wrap this thought up. First John is such a wonderful book. It's, it's written in, in, in a few different, um, follows a couple of different paths, and there's a couple of purposes to it. And one of the main purposes was that there was, fa- there was false teaching and there was right teaching. And he wanted people to know what the difference between the truth and the lie was. He wanted people to know that they had eternal life, he, and he said, I'm writing these things so that you don't sin. He told them they wouldn't have to sin because now they're born of God. And he's born of God, overcomes the world. So you can do this. Any of us who would talk about 1 John, what would we call it? The love book, right? He speaks a lot about the love of God. And he says things like this. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now that ought is an interesting word. Because we'll hear that and we'll go, we should love one another. And we put our heads down and go, okay, we should love one another. Why? Because God loved you. And we, we treat it the same way as when our parents said, finish your meal. There's children starving in India. Oh, I should eat this. I don't want to, but I should. Because there's kids starving in India. I heard a guy from India say one time, and of course he was joking, but he said, uh, he said that he and his brothers and sisters were being quiet at the table and just eating and not talking, and his, his mother said, have conversation, there are lonely children in America, you know, and that was the... <laughs> <laughs> but we kind of treat it that way when he says, we should love one another because Jesus loved us. We go, oh yeah, that's right. No, when he says you ought, it means this should be natural. Because the Bible says in this very book, that it says this, we love, and this is a continuous love. This is love, love, and continue to love. We love because he first loved us. You've got to realize that when he loved you, something happened. There was a reaction that took place. There was a spark in you. When you received his love, the Bible says in this book, in 1 John 4, we have come to know and believe the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So when, we, when he loved us and we received that love, we now had it living inside of us and had something to give away. And that love is not a budgeted love. It's not a rationed love. It's a river of living water from the inside of you. And you're always abiding in Him. If you're abiding in Him, you've got never-ending access to the love of God. Which means no matter how many jerks I deal with every day, and I don't, but you may. Now maybe you work at a, a customer support line or you work at a gas station or something where people are yelling at you all the time. I don't know, gas station? Maybe not. Restaurant, maybe. Yeah, restaurant. My, help us, Lord. So if you're working in, in some area, you're, you're coming across people that don't like you, that treat you bad, that treat you like, a, like you're your slave or whatever, all day you can love, 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 and never run out. This is revolutionary. How many times have you come across somebody that treated you? I had a lady that was helping me as I was speaking out of town this week, and, I, and they put me up in a hotel, and the first lady I talked to was the nicest lady, just wonderful, knew the church, knew the pastor, or had me all set up, anything else you need, it was wonderful. When I was checking out, I would have thought that I had slashed this woman's tires or beat up her kid or something. Like, she treated me as if, I was just the, just, the, just the scum on the bottom of her shoe, like, well, maybe not that bad, but that, that, I, that my presence somehow made her day worse. And what I tell myself in those situations is always this. I don't know what kind of day they've had. So, all right, let's just keep moving on. I don't know, maybe they had somebody yell at them today, and I'm just getting the brunt of that. But you know what? No one should ever have to say that about you. 
We can say that about others, but no one should have to say that about you because you've got the love of God in you. And the love of God does not need someone else. It just needs Him. If you'd really learn to receive the love of God, you wouldn't need people to affirm you all the time. If you really learn to receive His strength and His peace and His grace, His love for you, you wouldn't constantly need other people to love you. You would, it's nice, but you wouldn't need it. Jesus didn't need it. Did you notice He loved just the same? Whether or not he was being beaten or praised. Whether or not he was being whipped or worshipped. He still loved the same. Do you see the love that God put in you should not be affected by outside factors. The love that God put in you is only meant to be affected by your direct connection with him. And if you need more, he's got more. All these commandments that we read, they are simply the outflowing of love in your life. So when I don't steal, that's, I don't steal because the love of God's in me. When I, when I don't wrong a brother or, or someone who's not a brother, it's because the love of God's in me, and I don't think that way. I don't do that. We should all, and look what it says here in 1 John chapter 5. He's spent four chapters talking about love, how that we should love as Christ loved. He says in 1 John, well, let's start in 1 John 4. Can we do that? 1 John 4, 19 says, we love, not occasionally, not from time to time, but we love. That's who we are. We love. That's what we do. We love. We love because, because we were taught in church to love. No. Because it's the right thing to do. We love because he first loved us. You can love because He loved you. You have the ability to love because He loved you. Verse 20. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. This commandment that we have from Him. What do you hear? Commandment. This commandment we have from Him. That the one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. There's that love and commandments being put together again. We need to stop separating those things. Because you can't say you love God, but you disobey what He says. Because what He says is how you can love. What He's telling you is showing you how to love and stay in love and walk in love. And walk in His love and His life. So you can't say you love and yet disobey at the same time. It doesn't make sense. In the same way, you can't try to do the rules without love. It's pointless. It's powerless. It's got nothing to it. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I gave all my money to the poor. Does that sound like an act of love? No, we've always said love is a verb, right? Love is actions, love what you do. But it must be more than what you do. Because even though that guy said, even Paul said, I gave all, if I gave all my money to the poor, all my money, but I didn't have love, doesn't count. It's good for nothing. He said, if I gave my body to be burned, but no love, worthless he said if i could move mountains with my faith but i don't have love it's nothing if i could speak with the tongues of men and angels but don't have love it's a clanging symbol it sounds terrible think about this and and you know we've talked about this before but the greatest and only true proof of spiritual maturity is the love of God in your life. Every minister I've allowed to speak into my life, I've looked at their life and I've seen the love of God. If you can't see the love of God, it doesn't matter what kind of miracle you see. doesn't matter how forceful they speak. doesn't matter what they do. If they don't have love, it's nothing nothing 
It's all about love. And he says this, First John. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God. Listen to this. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Wow. Why? Because every one of those commandments was given to you so that you could walk as He walked, so that you could live as He lived. He's showing you how to love. He's holding your hand and walking you through this. Don't be so arrogant that you think you know better how to love than God does. Because the world has tried to redefine love for us. Through movies, through music, through every other thing, they've tried to tell us what love looks like. But that's not love. Jesus showed us what love looks like. You can't figure out love without this. Without His voice in your life, without His word in your life. He said, my words abide in you. Then you'll abide in my love and you'll keep my commandments. Here He says, this is the love of God. That we keep His commandments. And I love this. His commandments are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not hard. You say, they sure seem hard. You know, if they seem hard, step back into His presence. Step into the love of God. And say, God, this seems hard. But I know that you never tell me something I couldn't do. And I know that you gave me every tool I'd ever need to do what you told me to do. Number one is, you gave me your love. You poured it out of my heart. I can walk in love. I can forgive. I can see the power of Jesus working in my life. Verse 4, he says this. His commandments are not burdensome for. So he's going to tell us why the commandments are not burdensome, right? Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So you know what you need? If you're having trouble keeping the word, if the word's not real in your life, if you can't keep those commandments of love, if they're, I mean, you're saying, I'm struggling with that. I keep banging my head up against it. Then he says, whatever's born of God overcomes. You were born to overcome. Not only that, here's what's going to overcome your faith. Your faith is the thing that's going to overcome. So guess what, guys? If you need that love, ask God for that love. And if you say, if you say, I've been trying. I can't do it. I can't keep his word. I can't do what he tells me to do. First of all, stop saying things like that. Second of all, the key is faith. Now, if you were doing this yourself, faith wouldn't come into the picture. Do you need faith to turn on the faucet? in the bathroom, like to turn the water on, wash your hands? Do you need faith for that? Why? Because you can do that yourself. Do you need faith to put on your shoes in the morning? Most of us don't. If you do, we need to pray with you. The things you can do on your own, you wouldn't need faith. So is it any surprise that these things that he's asked us to do sound really hard without faith? But with faith, which means relying on him instead of us. Relying on his strength instead of our strength. Calling on his power and his love instead of ours. Then we overcome. Then we overcome. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount and been like, well, that's just impossible. He's talking about, you know, somebody asks for this, you give them your whole, you give them more. If they tell you to do this, you do this. I mean, he, he's, he's describing a life that's foreign to us. It all sounds very impossible to forgive 70 times 7. Until you realize that his commandments were never meant to be burdensome. What did he say? Come to me. All you who are weary, heavy burdened, worn out, stressed out, burned out. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in spirit. Take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy, and my yoke is light. The burden is easy, and the yoke is light because you're yoked up with Him. So what you're pulling, you're not pulling on your own. I want us to look at this again with fresh eyes and say, I don't naturally understand how to love. When I say naturally, I mean without Him, I've got no clue how to love. 
You say, well, just follow your heart. But you know what the Bible says about your heart? It's deceitful and can't be trusted. Why? If you've ever been a teenager, and I think you all have, you know what that means. And not in just in romance, but in every area. Your heart can fool you. Your heart doesn't always know the right thing to do. But you know who does? The Lord does. Jesus does. And his commandments for you are not meant to be a whip at your back. But they're rather meant to be wind underneath your wings to help you to fly and soar in the love of God. I don't mean to be sappy. I don't mean to be cliche. But these commandments have enabled you to walk in the life and love and power of God. Don't toss it aside and say, well, it doesn't matter. As long as we do what we feel is right, as long as I do what I, what I, as long as I just walk in what I feel love is, can I tell you, we have to relearn love. And the only way I can relearn love is by asking God who is love. What does that look like? And thankfully, he's told us what love looks like. So next time you read something in the Word that sounds like a commandment and it sounds like a rule, first of all, those rules don't justify you. Jesus' blood justifies you. If you're living for the rule and thinking that the rules are what gets you to heaven, you're wrong. He made you righteous already. Now, the reason we look at these things is so we can walk in the manner that he called us to walk in. We can walk in his life and walk in his love. These are empowering commands. And he shows us how to walk in love. And guys, Lloyd Minster doesn't need another parade. Lloyd Minster doesn't need another big, you know, festival. Although those things are great, actually. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying anything about that. But what Lloyd Minster really needs above all else is a demonstration of the love of Jesus. And I don't mean an official demonstration. I mean a daily encounter with Jesus. We just can't get around the fact that the nitty-gritty of it is they need you. They need to encounter Jesus in you. They need to see love face-to-face because right now they're not buying it. They need you. Walk in the love you've been given. We love as a response to his love.